Now, the Buckeye Extra Podcast with Rob Aller, Bill Rabinowitz, and Joey Kaufman from the Columbus Dispatch. Welcome back, Buckeye fans. This is another edition of the Buckeye Extra Football Podcast. We're recording this on January 11th. I'm Joey Kaufman. I'm joined by my co-host, Bill Rabinowitz, Rob Aller. I guess we can officially put a bow on the 2022 football season. The national title game was played on on Monday night. Georgia throttled TCU, which I think added a little bit of salt into the wounds of Ohio State fans because if you're a Buckeye fan watching that on Monday night, it, it really looked like even more you, you let a golden opportunity slip away because TCU was certainly overmatched against Georgia in the way Ohio State went toe-to-toe. But Georgia would certainly leave you to believe that they should have uh, been able to at least beat TCU, uh, maybe not put the same beating that Georgia did, but certainly you would think they would at least come out with, with a W. I think yeah. probably. I think that's probably true. I mean, it's it's dangerous when you get into the comparative scores, right? I mean, Michigan beats Ohio State. TCU beats Michigan. What would Ohio State do against TCU? But if the eyeball test – I think I say probably wins a national title, as you said, Joey. That's just that's salt in the wounds. Uh, I think TCU scores more than seven points against Ohio State. That's for sure. But uh, yeah, that's just it's it's one that got away. It seems like that's the refrain for Ohio State since 2014, almost. It's you know the one that got away, and uh, your window is only so big. And uh, I thought this was the year of the window, but. I think Bill would agree. I mean, TCU would not have beat the Buckeyes. No, <laughs> no, I don't. I, I the first drive of the game, it was like they have no chance. TCU has no chance in this game, and, and sometimes you know that that can be misleading because teams figure it out and they you know what it looks like a blowout early doesn't become one. But to me, it was the, the disparity in talent. Was just obvious from the start. It was it was like you know when you, when a high school lines up against Rutgers, and you go, this is just an exhibition. Um, yeah, the thing that's that's probably more painful about this coming close but not getting it than nineteen is that in nineteen you still had to play LSU and Joe Burrow, and you would have been an underdog. Ohio State would have been an underdog in that game. It would have been a great game. I mean, I, I think everyone would have loved to have seen that game. But it wasn't like you went in that game thinking Ohio State's got this in the bag. I think we all thought watching the semifinal, the Peach Bowl, this was really the national championship. We, we could see it then. Now, we didn't know t- TCU would lay an egg the way they did. I thought it'd be, you know, I didn't think 65-7 was going to be the final score. But I, there was very little doubt in my mind when I tuned in that game who was going to win the game. Um, and, yes, it does make it um, – all the more painful for Ohio State because if they had beaten Georgia and we've already gone through the, all the ways that, you know, slipped through their their fingers, they would have won the national championship. And the sting of that second straight Michigan loss would have been, I'm not saying entirely gone, but it certainly wouldn't have been. Yeah, I mean, you win a national championship, that trumps everything. And and that's what people would have remembered about this season. Um you know, but it also points out just how difficult it is. You need you need skill, you need coaching, you need luck, and and you know I'm not sure they had the luck. Um, you know, I, I still think if Marvin Harrison doesn't get hurt and and that penalty that target is not reversed, 
It's a different game. But you could say that about a lot of things. And the fact is, it didn't happen. They didn't win. And and here we are kind of lamenting another lost opportunity. Yeah, I think the 2019 comparisons are certainly, I think, a good window into this because that was such a stacked playoff field that right. year. You had LSU, was, which was the one seed. And right. then Clemson was the defending national champions undefeated, and they were the third seed. Ohio State was the two seed. So you had to, to dethrone like two two big-time right. giants. This year, it was really just one. It was just one Titan from the South and Georgia. So I think that's the sting of this year. Rob talks about a, a national championship window, um, and I think when you recruit at the level Ohio State does, there's, there's no such thing as a window. But some playoff fields – are more ripe for uh, bulldozing through them. And, and this one was certainly, I think, an easier path to hoisting the trophy than in in past years and what potentially uh, could could await in, in future years. Yeah, I'm working on an interesting, I find interesting column for Sunday, looking at since, night, since 2000. The average amount of time it takes for a coach at that school when he first gets there to win a national title is 3.73 years. And so, you know, there's a few exceptions. Kirby Smart being one, took him six years. Dabo took him eight to win his first, and Mac Brown, eight. Everybody else was four or fewer. And so Brian Day is on that that clock. you know, he has not done it. So when I talk about window, I kind of factor that into it. Yeah, maybe the maybe you can do whatever you want with stats, but there's there's a reason that, and we'll save some of this. But I'll just say there's a reason that coaches, the teams win pretty quickly national titles when a new coach comes in. Change of culture uh, puts a little bounce in the step. There's 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 little reasons that are important. And that's why I thought this year was the window for the Buckeyes. Well, you know, obviously Jim Trestle won it in his second year, correct? Second year? Urban second year, won Urban won it. Yeah, you can go right down. Nick yeah. Saban. Now, well, Nick took, won, well Woody, won was his, Woody was his fourth year, correct? Woody, yeah, Woody, Woody was, was his fourth. fourth. You got to win it within Paul Brown, two. Lloyd Carr, three. I mean, you go through the list. Gene Chizik, you've got, uh, you've got a list there of guys – who won it? And there's again a lot of reasons. Ed, Ed Ogeron. Ed Ogeron yeah. is his fourth year. Um, so it's like that four, that number four is kind of the sweet spot. But I, yeah, also, I, I, I did, did, I did too much into it. I mean, I, well, I know it's, it's, you're in the hunt and you're not, there's no slippage in the program. I'm going to put it this way if you're looking at, at where the programs are now, would you rather be Ohio State or say Clemson right now? I mean, Clemson seems to be kind of on the decline. As long as Ohio State's competing at the highest level, you know, every every year, and I'm not sure that next year they're going to be quite at that level. We can get into that a little bit later. But, you know, th- I agree with you. This was the year. 2019 was the year. This was a year where, especially this year, because you didn't have that gauntlet to go through in the playoff. Um, but, you know. Yeah, we're, gonna, we're looking, coming up on, and we're coming up on a decade since they won it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's time flies, and it seems like it was just yesterday. <clears throat> you know, Zeke running through the heart of the South. Right, but we're coming up on ten years, eight, nine years of it, and for some programs, Alabama, that's like, yeah, that coach is gone. I mean, if you don't win it within three or four, 
every time it's and now that's a new dynamic that wasn't there maybe in the past with Nick Saban and Bama. But I'm I'm just saying that that sweet spot seems to be about four years for whatever reason. Yeah, Rob, I did a similar uh, study a few years ago when I was covering USC because that was a question a lot of USC fans were asking about Clay Helton, who had, for, who had a couple of good years to, to start off his tenure, then things went south real fast. And then people asked that question, and you're right. It's, I think it's more anomaly, though, than predictive because – I don't know how you could say that they you couldn't win a national. It's not. It's certainly conceivable to win a national title for a coach in, in year six, year seven, year year eight to finally have that breakthrough. But it is it is an interesting thing. I've never really been able to figure out why that's been the case. It seems like you go through college ball history and a coach gets in, uses that change of culture as a big recruiting class, and that that recruiting class becomes an anchor for for them to win it all. But I I'm, I think ultimately you look at Ohio State. I don't see why they wouldn't not be in the playoff field moving forward and have a shot at winning it again all in the future. Well, the last thing, the last thing I'll say about it is they start to tune you out. Your message gets old. That's all. And that's just sort of human nature. Uh, maybe, I mean, maybe I think even today with the shorter attention spans of, of athletes and young people, it just, uh, it's latest greatest. Like keep well, it Rosters yeah. rosters change though even more so now. So like those players who may be tuning you out, maybe maybe tuning a new coach out somewhere else because they leave after a few years. That's that's the other side of it. Yeah, I mean that that's a great point. And maybe with the transfer portal, uh, nil things may change that way. We don't we don't know. But uh, makes, uh, I just so, found man. it an interesting. And you may be right. It may not be prescriptive. Uh, maybe anomaly, but it. it Let's put it this way. I, if you're Ryan Day, you would have liked to have gotten it in that four uh, yeah, five uh, years span. It's interesting. It's interesting. I, I, I am, I've certainly thought about that in the past, too. I think a lot of it depends on the kind of coach you are. If you are a really hard grinder, I mean, if you're an Urban Meyer type, I think there is a law of diminishing returns quicker than there is if there's a Ryan Day type. I do think that his style doesn't grate on people the way and grind them the way that Urban's did. So I think, you know, the, the sweet spot might be a little bit longer for, for day. But, yeah, and that's again, these things are so hard to win. And so when you have an opportunity, and let's face it, I mean, it wasn't like Ohio State dominated Georgia. I mean, that was a 50-50 game. It, I mean, I thought the Clemson game in 19 was – Ohio State was the better team, and they just didn't win. You know, a lot of reasons for that. We don't need to rehash that. But we we know the feeling after that game. This was like, you know, it, it came down to a 50-yard field goal and a lot of other things. Obviously, a lot of other things. If you the defense holds them, blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't like Ohio State walked away from that game thinking we were clearly the best team here. I mean, Georgia's really good. I mean, they are really, really good. Um and so there's no there's no shame in losing to Georgia, especially in their backyard. It's just very painful for Ohio State to realize just how close they really were. Look at it this way. What what needs to change? I mean, just knee-jerk, what has to change for Ohio State? Obviously, defense. Uh, I mean, we, we can talk about offense and who's going to be the quarterback, but, like, what do you do with that defense? It's Okay, the, the narrative is, oh, he gets a second year. The second year will be better for Jim Knowles because they'll understand the defense better. Of course, this year, all we heard was they picked it up so quickly. They picked it up immediately. So you can't really hide behind that. 
Uh, but Joey and I were talking before we came on the pod. What do you do about at the cornerback position? You just kind of hope that new guys, the, you know, the freshmen and first year guys coming in are like legit. Well, you have you have Denzel Burke coming back, and you assume you probably have Jordan Jordan Hancock. Um, you know, Burke was hurt a lot of the year. I'm sure that affected his performance. Here, I mean, here's the thing: both in the Clemson game and this game, the defense it, it was left to the defense to to make one last stand, and they didn't do it. Both Clemson and Georgia went right down the field when it mattered the most, you know. And it was a, they were long drives. These were not these were not fifty yard drives. These were seventy, eighty yard drives, whatever they were. And you know, so well, don't forget, Bill. They were up fourteen early, right? Too. Twice, right? You know, so the, you the play where Wayne the... and Ransom got beat deep. I mean, that that's a killer. You just can't with eight minutes to go, nine minutes to go. You just can't allow a seventy-six yard touchdown because then it then it comes down to one last drive. And and so yeah, you have to. Yeah, if you're going to be a championship defense, you have to make that stop. And they they didn't even come close in either in either case. So that's the that's the biggest thing. Can the, you know talk about competitive stamina, competitive value? That's where it is right there. It's the fourth quarter. The national championship potentially is on the line. Do it. And the thing is, my DVR review: Zach Harrison came inches away from knocking the ball. From Stetson Bennett on that last drive, inches, and that was their last chance to really stop that drive. Because once they got going, it was you know they just went right through him. But if he's there a split second earlier, it's a fumble, and who knows? I think they need more game records on defense. But to me, to me, that's when yeah. you look at what made the 2019 defense great. <laughs> and this is obviously a hard thing to do, but they had the number two overall pick, Chase Young, who could terrorize quarterbacks. And I mean, there were games where he had four sacks right. a game. Ohio State's sack leader this year was Mike Hall at four and a half a season. So you 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 contrast that, which is uh, something. And then you had Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett on the outside, who were two first round picks. Okuda was drafted third overall. So those are, the, I think, the two most important defensive positions in football: a a pass rusher who can get to the quarterback, and a corner who can break up passes, get interceptions, be a playmaker in the secondary. The corners didn't have an interception. Yeah. All year. And then the defense, I think, was much improved this year, fundamentally sound. Linebackers were always in the right position. I think they when they kept things in front of them, they pursued the ball really well. They they hovered in the right direction. They weren't it didn't feel like the issues that we saw in 21 where they couldn't contain the edge and it would just get beaten that way. It, it felt like they were they were improved fundamentally, but they didn't have that, that extra gear. I think sometimes you need to to win it all. Let's go through who their game records potentially could be. I think JT Tuomolo is one, that's for sure. Um, you know, Jack Sawyer is now going to be entering his third year. And, you know, he's been good, but he hasn't been great consistently. And the fact that, you know, look at his snap counts, right? They've not been among the defensive leaders, which tells you something. Uh, on linebacker, I think you know Tommy Eichenberg was was as good as you could hope he could be. I mean, he was really good. We're still awaiting his decision about whether he comes back or not. As of, be, as of recording this pod, uh, as we, yeah, this is uh, two o'clock on what is Wednesday. It, Wednesday. Uh, we're still awaiting. That would be absolutely huge. Uh, you know, on the other hand, I mean, they have people behind them. I mean, C.J. Hicks. If he got his chance, you still know, Chambers is coming back, and you know, Chambers coming back. You know, he's, but, but still, I think Eisenberg would be a big deal. Yeah, um, you know, in the secondary, you look at it and you go, well, you know, you lose a lot. Uh, you know, Lathan Ransom is a playmaker. You know, he's also had some bad plays. 
So he's been a mixture, but you know, he's a guy you say, okay, he, he's a difference maker when he's playing well. Uh, you know, corners, like you said, Joe, it is amazing that you could go through an entire season when your quarterback cornerbacks have no interceptions. And this was not an exclusively man-to-man defense, man-to-man coverage defense. It's much harder to get interceptions than man-to-man because you're you're watching you're with the receiver, you're not you're not facing the quarterback. So you know, they did play some zone this year. That's astounding. That's an astounding stat that not one interception was was made by a, a cornerback. And, you know, you're going to lose Ronnie Hickman, who had a quieter year this year than he did last year. Um, you know, in the middle, you, you're going to have Mike Hall Jr. Right? Quiet. He wasn't quiet in the locker room. Who? Ronnie Hickman. Well, he was, yeah, well. After the, the last game. Yeah, he was not happy to see the fourth estate in in the locker room, <laughs> um, or at least not happy that you know uh, Noah Ruggles was was near him, yeah. and uh, reporters were were approaching Noah Ruggles for obvious reasons. But anyway, um, the you know Tyleek Williams um, is is potential you know to be that kind of player. But yeah, I mean, they. You're right. They just did not have the guys that you just feared. That other than JT, I think the defensive quarters go. How do we contend with this guy? And JT is even a different player than sort of the yeah. Bosses and the Chase Youngs because those right. guys, a lot of times, they would just line up on the edge and and just push a tackle back or right. manhandle them that way. He's Finesse is the wrong word uh, for him, but he's, I would say, multi-skilled where he's going to make plays batting balls. He's not just going to be somebody who's going to sack, that's it, but he's going to be able to drop into coverage. I mean, he had the two interceptions against Penn State, so he's a different type of a player, but it does feel like he's one of the few playmaking guys on, on that defense where he's going to be able to to create negative plays and, and turnovers. But a lot of the, the issues with the Ohio State defense in recent years, it feels like we've had the same – conversations since 2019 where you look at a lot of their defensive linemen you can look at the advanced stats and and cite the pressures that they get they this many total pressures and they're close to getting the quarterback and they they moved them off the spot but they just haven't had the the volume of sacks that they had in 19 18 17 16 those those later years uh in the previous decade yeah and guys we've talked about this it also comes back to you know, who cares what you do against Rutgers? You're winning by 40 points anyhow. Who cares what you do against Northwestern? You got to do it against the best teams. And we talked about this. Look at look at Ryan Day, not dependent on him totally, but just he is the guy. You know, last year, or the two best teams you play, right? Oregon, Michigan, you lose, you lose. And you almost lose to Utah. Now, you can't, you can't play that game. You got to play it. If you're going to say you almost lose, then you know you barely won. That doesn't that doesn't really match up. But then this year, yeah, you beat Notre Dame, which you know was an okay team, not 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 a knockout punch. Notre Dame's not great. You lose to Michigan, you lose to Georgia, um, and you probably could go back a little farther than that. So it's it's what Bill said. It's that competitive stamina, and that's the got to be the frustrating part. If you're Ryan Day. You've preached this competitive edge and stamina all year. That was like the, that was like the focus. And then Georgia happens, and Michigan happens again. Like, what what piece is missing? And I think Joey might have nailed it. You, you, you need that game record. You need somebody to make a play on defense. 
Somebody's got to make a play, a pick, a sack. It just doesn't happen against the best teams, or at least it hasn't. But just feels otherwise you're relying upon the offense to just do these Herculean feats. Right. And and and, and sort of that's what it, you're, you're nitpicking on the margins, but when you lose – 42-41 for a national championship. I mean, it's the sometimes it's a little thing you're gonna that can swing things. And otherwise we'd be covering a parade down High Street this week or something like that. Yeah. Well, the other thing to keep in mind, and this is not excusing Ohio State, but let's face it, this is an offensive age. I mean, you're just not going to hold teams, you know, uh, in the in the twenties even. I mean, look at the TCU Michigan game, which again was a crazy game. What was that 51-45 or something like that? I mean, you know, I don't say 42-41 is the norm, but it's a lot different than the NFL. It's a very different game. And it's the college players just aren't as fast. Um, you know, obviously not as good. And there's just there's more space. I mean, again, you know, I mean I covered the NFL for a long time and I remember switching to college and just seeing how much bigger the holes were, uh, how much bigger the passing windows were in the college game. Uh, in the pro game, when their windows, they close so fast. In the college game, they don't. We think about the way uh, Georgia ran against Ohio State in the first half. I mean, they were gaping holes. Uh, and that's what makes Georgia so good is because there weren't when, – when nobody does that to Georgia. Uh, you know, they, they did give up, what, 77 yards a, a game on the ground? I mean, they just – that's the one team that I noticed that just does not give up those chunk yards on the ground, and and you know hats off to them. They've got they've got studs, uh, but generally speaking, it it's just hard to stop college offenses. They're just ahead of the defenses. You're right. I mean, and this is the the age in college football points win. Uh, we talked about it when we recorded our preview pod ahead of the Peach Bowl that it was probably going to take in the high 30s to win because that was the average. Point margin for the winning team in the semifinal game. But the question for Ohio State in that Georgia game, do you want to win 41 to 38, 41 to 35, or do you think you can win 45 to 42 or 49 to 42? Those are your those are your two options. So it's a it's a play here or there on offense, and it's a play here or two there on on defense that, that swings the game and eventually helps you to win. But you look at Georgia, I mean, Georgia has this vaunted defense, and you had five guys who went in the first round off that defense last year. You have Jalen Carter, who's a dominant interior defensive tackle who could go in the top five, and they gave up more than 40 points to Ohio State. So I, I think it's an unrealistic expectation to, to think that Ohio State's going to go to a semifinal game and just win 52 to 20 over most teams. But you still need to figure out a way, I think, here or there to make a play when you have a lead with two minutes left and and that sort of thing, just to hold on, make a game-sealing interception or strip sack or fumble recovery. That's what you need. Jim Knowles talked. I thought it was very telling in his pregame interviews, and he talked about this at different times this year. It's a really stopping offense. You need 13 players. <laughs> you know, in other words, you know, all you're trying to do on defense is cover up the holes, cover up the, the vulnerabilities you know you have that if an offense sees it, can exploit it. And all, his scheme is based on not allowing the quarterback and the coordinator to see it, or at least disguising it so that sometimes they don't see it and you can take advantage of it then. Um, you know, the days when teams would just line up and try to run between the tackles. That's that's long gone. I mean, the team offenses are very creative now. 
they um, you know Ohio State still has better athletes than almost everybody, and that's why they they do dominate most of the time. They just are better. But you know when the offense is equal or when the talent is, is equal, it's tough to stop the defense. And I thought that thirteen player comment was was pretty telling. Yeah, what's interesting about that is you need thirteen players, and Ohio State this year for the most part only had nine. <laughs> you look at the, the cornerbacks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, why not twelve? I think twelve would be helpful. Twelve, just put out there, put twelve out there. Fill an extra guy. Well, yeah. Ohio State did it on their punt, punt fake. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah, wow. Anyhow, I mean, there, there's no question, Ryan. Ryan Day, to a certain extent, is snake bit. <clears throat> he's kind of the, he's he's a little bit of the Greg Norman of of the old Greg Norman of golf of like just. You know, it just seems like things happen to him. Buffalo Billsy. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing is there was this thing, you know, way back that was called Clemsoning, yeah. right? Remember that? Yeah. And it argued people really, it hasn't attached itself to Ohio State yet. But you could almost say there's some some Ohio Stating going on if you look at 19, if you look I, I don't know. I mean, this is an elite program, as we've talked about. They're like in that 98th percentile. The problem is they run up against that 2% and they can't get over on it. What do you think of some of these way too early top 25s that, that have Ohio State? I've seen them what, between second and sixth, I think. Um, those are the ones I've yeah. seen. I mean, let, let's see, let's see, you know, how the quarterback plays out. Is it, you know, Comicord or or Devin Brown gonna be um, you know, the stud that, that Ohio State's had at quarterback for the last, well, you know, since what, Braxton Miller? Um, you know, I think they can do it. I mean, Kyle McCord is a five-star guy, but until you do it, you don't know. And uh, he seems to be ready. You know, he says he's ready. He's had two years in the system. I think that does help. But, you know, the big question for me, the biggest question by far is the offensive line. I mean, I just look at that line and I go, Ew. I mean, you, you, they got good news today when Matt Jones announced that he was coming back. He huge slide huge news. Huge news. Luke Whippler is going to the NFL. We knew the tackles, Paris Johnson Jr. and Dewan Jones were going pro. They, they've made that official now. So you, you've got two guys back, Donovan Jackson at, at, at guard and Matt Jones, I would assume at center, but who knows. And then you got to fill it in. And I'm not sure who you do. I mean, I think you Josh probably is probably right guard, I would guess. You know, so the interior of the line, I think, is set. Yeah, Josh Fryer, and then it's a big question mark, who's the other tackle? And then in terms of depth, there's even bigger question marks. I mean, can Luke Montgomery come in and compete for a job? I mean, who knows? It's pretty rare for a freshman to, to do that. But oh, yeah. it's it, that that line is Unless you have a, a an offensive line, and the offensive line's protection this year was pretty pretty damn good. Unless you have an offensive line that can be be the foundation of your offense, I don't care who the skill position players are. Yeah, here's yeah. a question: what's what's Cal McCord's mobility? I think that's going to be huge because it's decent. It's decent. Here's the here's the deal: it's doubtful because when when coaches say that C.J. Stroud has the best field vision, processes information as good or better than anyone they've ever seen. 
just the odds are that Kyle McCord will not be as good at that. I mean, it, it can't right, just right, keep getting right. better. So, so where is he going to make up? Because what we've seen is they didn't win at all with C.J. Stroud, even though he played the game of his life, fantastic, against Georgia. Um, so where are you with Kyle McCord in terms of the mobility? Because if you look at Stetson Bennett, you start to look at teams that really have that star quarterback those guys are also mobile. I mean, C.J. Stroud was kind of an exception, right? Well, Dwayne Haskins wasn't mobile. I mean, yeah, and they didn't exactly. And what did they do? You know, so well, I, mean, I think Kyle McCord, you know, is mobile. I think Devin Brown is more mobile. I think he's more athletic. But I think that Devin or uh, Kyle McCord's ahead of him as a passer in terms of accuracy, in terms of knowing the system, all that stuff. But. Uh, I mean, we, we won't know. We won't know until they start playing. I mean, it's advantageous for whoever the quarterback's going to be that Ohio State really has three games to get ready for Notre Dame. It's not the second game of the year next year. It's the fourth game of the year. They, they open with Indiana. Uh, then they've got uh, – They get no games to get ready for Indiana. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and you got uh, Western Kentucky, and who's the other one? It's another – it's a – it's a Youngstown State. Uh, yeah. Youngstown State came in to replace yeah. San Jose State. Yeah, you might play quarterback that game. And uh, I think I would hand the ball off. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the skill position players, they're they're loaded. I mean, that's not kid ourselves, especially if all of these running backs come back. Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams, uh, Dallin Hayden, Evan Pryor comes back. You have Chip Traynham. Uh, you know, you got five guys back there, at least as of now. Receivers, we all know you got Marvin Harrison, you have Mecca Buka, you have Julian Fleming, and then you got these, you know, is Jade Ballard there? I mean, Kate Stover's, Stover's coming Kate Stover's back. Kate Stover's coming back. Um, you got these freshmen coming in that are, you know, fantastic. That That's not the issue. But if you can't protect and you can't, you know, run block, you got problems, and that's that to me is the whole offense. That and of course, and of course the quarterback. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think offensive line is it's a pretty big rebuild for for Justin Fry. And I mentioned Matt Jones's return being really important and huge. It's, it's partly due to his experience, but also just to replace four offensive linemen right. would have been a, a big task. Especially they haven't brought in any transfers on the line yet. They've they've looked into adding a few. They lost one out yesterday to USC. Jared Kingston. Um, Washington State starting left tackle who they were pursuing. They've pursued and offered a few guys out of the portal, and they haven't been able to to land any of them. And so if they were in a position of needing to replace four guys on the line, I think they would have been a tall order. And, and Matt Jones can play center, so he's filling in one of the more important positions. But I think this is where Greg Stadrawa's uh, recruiting, that was, that was a complaint people had for a number right. of years uh, where they weren't able to really sign – Somebody like Paris Johnson. I mean, Paris Johnson was the number one ranked offensive tackle in his class in 20, but in the following years, they didn't really sign a high-end tackle. Um, so the, the the depth of options that they're going to turn to is is not really all that uh, deep, I mean, especially the tackle spots. Yeah, I still think they, they will need to take a serious look at the portal. Um, you know, once it becomes known that Ohio State's in the market for a stud offensive lineman tackle, I think people will will do it. They've but, been in the market. They've offered know, the highs, and they've, they've just been left at the altar. They, they yeah. were going after the one of the, the big transfer from Rhode Island, uh, right? Cornelius, who ended up going to Oregon. 
Yeah, so they, they've gone, they've offered quite a few guys. It's just they've missed on all of them, and they're extenuating circumstances. It sounded like uh, the kid from Washington State, he's a California native, wanted to stay on the West Coast, but still. Sounds to me, sounds to me like they got to get that NIL, NIL money uh, uh, going. Well, that's a whole different Well, it's not instant. Yeah, I mean, everything's a factor. The NIL is a factor. I mean, it's 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 a different world. It's a different world. But that's basically at this point, I would I would think the line would be Matt Jones at center, Enoch Famahi at, at right guard, Donovan Jackson at left guard, Josh Fryer, maybe a left tackle uh, or right tackle. Then you have Zen Michalski, who could uh, be in one of the other tackle spots as well, however they want to do that. But and then there's a lot of question marks there. Yeah. I mean, you, you have two unproven tackles. At this I don't state. know that any of them are considered potentially high NFL draft picks, maybe Donovan Jackson, but, you know, for a guard. But I don't know that any of them are – I mean, Paris Johnson, everyone knew from the start. Paris Johnson right. was going to be a stud, five-star guy. He was going to be a first-round pick eventually. I don't know that anyone's saying that, that about any of the current Ohio State linemen. No. I mean, Josh Fryer was, was a three-star recruit. Uh, then Milchalski was a, a four-star top 300 guy. Uh 21 ranked offensive tackle in this class. So maybe maybe they developed well. Uh, certainly we're not really there watching them every day, but you don't have somebody like Paris Johnson, who you, as you said, Bill, from the moment he stepped on campus, who projected into a first-round NFL draft pick. Let's talk staff changes. Do you, do you anticipate any who are currently here no longer being here next year? And what do they do about uh, – what do they do about Kevin – Wilson. Well, the, here's the interesting thing. The, the Kevin Wilson spot has been filled. Keenan Bailey is going to be the right. tight ends coach. What you don't have right now is an offensive coordinator. Now, you have you have 10 coaches. They have 10 coaches on staff. You know, somebody can leave. Um, you know, I, I have my ideas about what could happen. I, I think that um, <laughs> oh, I don't. I mean, are you gonna, they just going to stay inside your head? What, 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 I mean, well, this is a podcast. Well, come on, what do you got? Yeah, I don't. On, I don't have any inside information on this. this no, is I'm just, not asking. If I were Ryan Day, okay, if I were Ryan Day, yeah, I would want to hire a Tom Herman type. I would want to hire a an experienced quarterbacks coach slash offensive coordinator play caller because I do know he wants to give that up. Um, he he has said that and. That's that's it's look, this job is too big to to do that. There are very few coaches who's, who still do that. He'll still have input on that, but the nitty-gritty of every play calling it's it's just a lot, of, it's just too much. So ideally, you'd like to have a Tom Herman type person. Now it's not gonna be Tom Herman, he's already got a job, but and I don't know who's out there. But you know, Corey Dennis has been here a few years. Uh if he wants to advance. You know, maybe it would be a good idea to go somewhere and be a coordinator or get you know some kind of promotion at a at another school. I don't know. I mean, I'm just I'm just kind of guessing. The other thing is you've got Parker Fleming, who's a special teams coach, and that's all he does, special teams coach. Well, you know, there were some major uh, uh, what's the right word? You, yeah. you know the word on gas. That's a good one. Screw up. That's a good one. There we go. I mean, the fake punts against Michigan and Georgia. That's just that's just not acceptable. It's just not acceptable. Um, a lot of coaches. Why don't you talk about the second one? Have we discussed the second one? The second one, they had twelve men on the field. Right, and not everyone knows that. That that came yeah, over. They had twelve yeah. men on the field. Kirby Smart 
call timeout because he saw a funky formation. I don't know that he counted 12, but he saw enough to, you know, all it ended up doing was wasting a timeout because they would have caught that, I assume. Um, but yeah, and then that's weeks after blowing it against Michigan. So you had all this time to prepare for a better fake punt and you have 12 men on the field. I don't have any idea who screwed up, but that's that's not that's unacceptable. So a lot of programs don't have a dedicated special teams coach. You could you could have somebody who does that on the side and 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 you know, you could juggle the staff that way. I you know I don't know what's going to happen. Um, the fact that it's been there's been radio silence from Ohio State since basically the bowl game tells you that they're, they're probably working on something like that. But I, uh, yeah, that's those are the staff changes I foresee um, potentially. I got a question: Does Larry Johnson go to the grave as a coach, or does he does he? Oh, well, what, you I'm want? Saying, what I'm saying is, is he a guy that'll just go as long as he can? Wow. Oh come I on! I don't. I don't know. He, he did. I mean, he did. Go, he's going to die on the field. I'm okay. Saying. Well, good. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are so PC set. Come on. He did. Go, he did coach with Penn State. That was Joe Paterno's concern for a lot of years. Was yeah. as soon as you leave coaching, you, you lose. He was right. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, what's what? Do you have? A, do you have any feel? I mean, he's he's sort of a legend. There was more noise around that last year. There was more noise about that last year. Yeah, but you guys have also talked about how they how the defensive line, you know, was it up to snuff? Well, I, I thought the defensive line was good this year. Okay, I, I, I thought that was good. I mean, I mean, here's the thing that, and I, I'm not blaming Larry Johnson for this, but the stud defensive end recruits that they wanted to get, they didn't get. Yeah, I think that's much more nil than is Larry Johnson. I think Larry Johnson's presence kept them in the hunt, but. I guess my question is, he's 67 now? Well, we don't know what he is. I think he's older than that, actually. but Might be 68. So I'm just curious whether there's retirement. What's what's coming back? I'm not sure Larry Johnson's a guy that worries too much about what he has. These guys all believe they can develop what they do already have. That's right. a Ryan Day, right? He doesn't, he's not super concerned about the quarterback because he figures he'll develop the quarterback. Well, Larry Johnson's probably the same way. He will develop D-linemen into what they need to be. Although Ryan Day is uh, not really trying to develop three-star quarterbacks, <laughs> true. This is true. I, but uh, to I guess to reframe this whole staff discussion, I think the number one priority for Ryan Day at the moment is to figure out a way for him if he's going to give up play calling. How do you do that? And if you're going to become transitioned into more of a CEO coach, which is what Kirby Smart does, Nick Saban does, Dabo does. That is going to you're gonna to have to finesse this somehow to to find a play caller with which with you trust on staff and whether that's internally Brian Harline Justin Fry splitting those duties or to figure out a way to get somebody else from the outside onto the staff that's I think uh, what is atop the agenda. Yeah, I agree. I think that's exactly right. And the interesting thing is that's what Ryan that's what gets him going is the play calling. You get you get the feel that. That's what he really loves is kind of getting in there, playing chess, making those calls to give that up is giving away. You do it for the greater good, but for personal satisfaction, I'd be interested to get into his, his head on that. Like, does he, does he become a little less fun? And what does that mean? What does that look like with the pressure on this guy? And uh, I just think that's something to keep, keep a watch on. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. They, I think they really do. I think he does want to hire somebody who can who can take that off his plate. But look, he's still going to be involved on those meetings all week when they come up with a game plan. That's Ryan Day is going to be leading the show. It's just in the moment, you know, what play do you call on right now on second and seven? So, um, you know, he's still going to be involved, but I think it's just too much. I mean, think about all the things you got to do as a head coach. I mean, I mean, I think, the, you know, on defense, I think he feels – I think he still feels good about Knowles. I mean, you know, maybe he shouldn't feel as good as he does based on the last couple games, really three games. But I don't think there's any question that Knowles is the, the guy that he trusts with the defense right now. I mean, if, if they have uh, similar failures next year, that might be different. But for now, yeah. Um, you know, and Knowles talked – when he got here, but I know I don't have four years like I did Oklahoma State. I know it's got to be immediate. And you try to force feed the, the schedule. Maybe you just can't. Maybe it just does take time. And as much as you try to talk yourself out of that notion, it that's still the truth. It still takes time. Um, because let's I mean, they they were better this year. They just weren't good enough when they had to be good enough. I think that's that's fair. Yeah, that pretty, much says, that pretty much says it all. Ohio State, that could be the season. Ohio State was not good enough when it absolutely had to be good enough. I'll, I'll trademark that one. It'll be three Pete. That'll be my three Pete. Yeah, the question is whether they can find it. I mean, he, Ryan Day called Jim Knowles the head coach of the defense. And if see if you can find a head coach for the offense. Well, he's going to always be the head coach for the offense. I think he wants a a, a co head coach for the yes, offense. Maybe, yes. Huh? Yes. <laughs> Because that's a, and I think you just when you look at the job in, of a head coach of college football in 2023 versus 2019 when Ryan Day began uh, running this program, it's it's changed considerably. In in 19, the only guys who could transfer and play immediately were grad transfers or somebody who was able to get a waiver approved by the NCAA. So there's way more roster movement there. There. <laughs> You're, you're dealing with all the, the bad dynamic a lot more. You're dealing with NIL. And I think those two things just take a lot of your time away from game planning. And you hear it with some coach now, I mean, you listen to Sean McVay with the Rams and t- coach talking about like burnout. I think that's, it's a real thing for a lot of coaches this day and age. And I think that's partly why Ryan is considering giving up what calling plays on the offense is just because there's so much, to do as a head coach of a program. It's a, it's a tougher job now than it ever has been uh, by far, by far. You didn't you used to have to worry about, you know, pissing off a player and, and then he transfer the next day or, you know, am I going to lose a recruit because I'm did I get enough money up front or, you know, all these, all these different issues. Or if you do give a recruit money up front, how's that going to play in the locker room with the veteran players? I mean, all these things are things that coaches never had to deal with before. Um, and the expectation, look, Ohio State is a high, high-pressure job. The fan base is um, impatient and not forgiving. Uh, at least at least a sizable minority of, of that. And when it's such a big fan base that even a small minority is a fairly large number. That's why they pay them $10 million, right? Yeah, we'll see, uh, obviously, what happens in, in the weeks to come, but – think that sort of gives you a primer on what lies ahead in the offseason. We tried to, to give some lasting thoughts on the Buckeyes 2022 season, the 2022 
college football season at large. Uh, thanks again, for all of you, for, for listening to us. And as always, there's few developments that happen in the offseason in this day and age in the sport. So you'll be hearing from us in the weeks to come as we digest the latest news around Ohio State football. Thanks for listening, everybody. Be sure and subscribe to the Buckeye Extra podcast in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on Stitcher.